Nehemiah, our biblical character, a little background information on him. He's the main character. Him and Ezra. Ezra helped rebuild the temple. Uh, Nehemiah helped uh, rebuild the walls and the gates in Jerusalem uh, through 425 BC, through, four, or through 458 through 425 BC. Ezra uh, was already set up to do that, pro, you know, have that profession and to take that roll on where Nehemiah, that wasn't his, uh, that wasn't his leading. That's where he was. He wasn't in that uh, type of setting. So uh, he's on the king's court with Artaxerxes. And uh, this is where the whole cupbearer thing comes into play. When President Ballard was uh, teaching Wednesday night devotions early on with missions teams, it was always Nehemiah. And so he would, you know, sarcastically say, Ed, would you be my cupbearer? And I would have to say, no, <laughs> because I hate coffee. So I just can't, I just can't, you know, drink coffee. So along those lines, he quit asking me to become his cupbearer. Why? I don't know if it was just because he was tired of me saying no, or maybe it was something about he had some tea in his coffee cup at some time. That you know, so but he he eventually asked me to stop uh, talking about that. So we'll uh, we'll leave that one go. But uh, cupbearer was a job that probably most people didn't want back then because you'd have to drink the wine before the king did or taste his food. And well, if they didn't like the king and they wanted to get rid of him, they would poison him. So it wasn't a really honorable job, but Nehemiah done it, and uh, he'd done it well from a few of the things that I've read. So we're going to start reading today in Nehemiah. We'll start in verse 4 through verse 11. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel and your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer of the king. So Nehemiah had just received word from us one of his friends who came back from Jerusalem that uh, it was in total waste and they had no gates, walls were knocked down. 
And so he was mourning, fasting, and he was praying about this. Uh, when you read it, a lot of times in Scripture, we don't know how long of a time passes between uh, some of the events, but fortunately in this one, it'll tell us how long Nehemiah uh, is praying because it gives us what month that the person came uh, back from Jerusalem to tell them about it. And then when we get into chapter 2, it'll give us a time frame of uh, that time. So, so before we start, let's uh, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for this time, Lord, where we could come before you and to look into your word, Lord. Just be with us. And give me the words to communicate the word and to uh, communicate it clearly, Lord. And that everything we do will be for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a drink. Okay. So, uh, so we see there where Nehemiah, uh, his prayer is a lengthy prayer. Uh, it's a very uh, bold prayer. If you look at the start of his prayer, how many of us... Uh, start a prayer by saying, hey, God, you want to pay attention here? Uh, you know, are you listening to me? So I know I don't start them that way, but Nehemiah, he's very bold. So um, that's the way he started his prayer. And as we see throughout the book, he's bold in most of the things that he does. So, uh, so Nehemiah, down through his prayer, you know, reminds God, what he had said to Moses, and again, when we pray, do we remind God what he said? Obviously, he's God. He knows what he said, and uh, even though it was way back in Moses' day, I'm sure Nehemiah didn't need to remind him uh, what he had told Moses, and then when he's closing out his prayer again, he uh, is bold, and he asks God to remember him and others and to give him success in what he's going to be asking. So chapter 2 is where we see Moses or, uh, yeah, Nehemiah come before the king and to uh, present his dilemma to the king. So starting in chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So here you have Nehemiah coming before the king with the wine. And it's been three months since he has been praying, fasting, uh, for the others, the other Israelites and those in Jerusalem. So he comes before the king and he's doing his typical daily job and you know, the king notices, hey, you know, why are you so sad? So Nehemiah goes on to tell him. And then there where it says he was afraid, um, back in those days if you were before the king and you said something the king didn't like, you know, it was just easy for him to take you out the door and have you executed. So 
Nehemiah was uh, afraid of how he was going to respond to the question from the king uh, about why he was so sad. So he gets ready to answer the king, but before he does that, he gives us uh, a prayer. And he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And that's all we get, is he prayed to the God of heaven. We don't get the prayer. We don't know what he asks. We don't know any of that stuff. But it obviously has to be a short prayer because it's not like he can be like, time out, king. I got to talk to someone higher than you. You know, so <laughs> just, just hold on. I'll be back. So obviously he had to make it a quick one. But as we see throughout the story, the quick one sometimes is just as good as his long one. Uh, so <clears throat> here at NEBC, we're going to be tackling a lengthy time of prayer, fasting, led by President Ballard. Uh, so throughout this time frame here at the college, we've had different times of prayer. We've had an overnight prayer meeting. We've had different types. If, if you were here early on in the construction, you would see scripture verses written on all the walls, floor. Um, they were very... A very good time of prayer and uh, helped us grow there. Growing up, I would say I always come out and see my mother in prayer. So she's always one of those people that uh, I've seen praying constantly to the Lord. And of course, none of her children were angels. I know. <laughs> I, we finally admitted it, but we weren't angels. So she probably had a few prayers uh, on our behalf through those times. Uh, growing up, I went to a Christian school and our pastor there, Pastor Hunter, you know, he was always a man of prayer. Wednesday night prayer meetings would be some of the elderly gentlemen in the church and they would break up and take some of the younger guys and split them up. So those are always some of the things that I remember growing up is uh, kneeling at the pew with two of the elders and myself and they would pray and then they'd look at me and be like, okay, your turn. It's like, Okay, so uh, it's pretty daunting to pray before them. So, but President Ballard has always uh, put prayer first here at the college, and it's always been a uh, one of the examples of uh, for me in my leadership. So, my other hat of disaster relief is always an interesting one because I enjoy doing disaster relief but I don't enjoy seeing other people's stuff get ruined just so I can go do disaster relief. So uh, one of the things we pray for when we see the storm is possibly going to hit the U.S., we start praying for the Lord to take those that are in the path of the storm and keep them safe. And then we also start praying about how we are going to face the situation uh, when it does come. Um, you ask yourself many times, <clears throat> how do we pray for others when this all comes up? I have one person who prays for me every Saturday. Every Saturday, I get a text from Johnny Thane saying, praying for you, brother. And so he, you know, how many times do we let others know that we're reaching out and praying for them? It's always an uplifting time when Johnny sends me the short text letting me know that he's praying for me. 
So are we intentional? Are we intentional in our prayers? Uh, with Nehemiah, he had a three a three month period there where he kept praying, kept fasting. Uh, how many of us lose interest and stop if we don't hear something within a day or two, a week? He's got, he's gone on for three months, uh, waiting for a response, no response, you know, sometimes nothing at all. And then finally he gets the, uh, he gets the okay from the Lord to approach the king and to uh, ask him that question. Uh, so here's where we start seeing Nehemiah's biblical leadership come into play uh, with the start of the prayer. Before he did anything, he prayed to the Lord. Um, Nehemiah probably could have just answered him on his own because at this time, what does Nehemiah really know about the situation other than it's in ruins? Um, he hasn't been there to see what it is. So, you know, he prays to the Lord. The Lord gives him the answer. So he tells Artaxerxes, I would like to go to Jerusalem and help rebuild the city that I once lived, that my parents and that once lived in. Um, so the king says to him, okay, sure, how much time do you think you'll need? And so Nehemiah throws out a time frame to him, and after uh, he gives him the time frame, Artaxerxes grants him that wish. So most of us at that point in time would just be jumping up and down and saying, yeah, he gave me what I wanted. But no, good old bold Nehemiah, he didn't stop there. He continued with, oh, hey, while you're at it, can you write me a letter giving me safe passage from here through the territory to Jerusalem? King grants him that wish. He's like, oh, well, you know, while you're at it, we need some money and some materials to be able to do this project, because obviously there's not many people there in Jerusalem at the time, and they couldn't fund the project, so the king grants him that wish. And he's like, oh, hey, while you're at it, can you give me some lumber so I can build a house to live in? So he's, Nehemiah was pretty bold to reach out and to ask, but that's what the Lord gave him in that prayer, was the boldness to be able to know what he would need to do this project and do it right. So here at the college, I get to deal with President Ballard and Mr. King. I had a good little joke about a king to throw in here, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to give Mr. King too much. You know, I can I can control one of them, but when when I get in a meeting with both of them, it's tough if they're both picking on me. So, uh, but so in in our meetings, you know, they ask for a list of material, time, costs the cost and a time frame of the project, thus showing a solid leadership because they want to know what it's going to do, how it's going to run, entail, how many missions teams we need, stuff like that. And of course, the president has told us time and time again of the numerous stories in construction where we just don't have the money, but the Lord sends the teams and he sends the money with them. So it's always a blessing when uh, we start in the word and we let the Lord lead the way. And that's one thing that President Ballard has taught us from day one to uh, pray and follow the Lord.
So learning from that in my disaster relief uh, role, uh, we use the word assessment. So whenever we go to disaster relief, we have uh, chaplains and assessors, and they go out and they look at the projects and they assess, tell us how many teams, how, you know, all that stuff that we're going to need. Uh, so for me, at the beginning, it was great because I was a blue hat. I wasn't the white hat. I could just show up. All that information was done. Here you go. It, go do it. Well, for us, we had Hoosick Falls, and they had flash flooding three years ago. And uh, so I see it. It was one of those unexpected things, so it's not like we got to pray a lot about it beforehand. And so it's raining here in Bennington, and we had a little bit of flooding, but nothing major. And then the president calls me up and says, hey, we had some flash flooding here in Hoosick Falls. What can we do? So I prayed about it that night. And next morning, he came and picked me up, and we drove around to Hoosick Falls, and we uh, assessed the situation. Um, <clears throat> he was living in Hoosick Falls at the time, so that's why it was on his radar more than here in Bennington. Uh, fortunately for us, it wasn't overwhelming. There's only 12 or 18 jobs that were small jobs. We only had two big ones, and we had uh, people around to do it. In disaster relief, if you're part of disaster relief, you we're like one big family. So if Vermont has a problem, we can call New York, New Hampshire, Maine, and we can ask them to come out and help. Well, this storm had such a strange little track that it came up through Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, and devastated all of those states. So at the time, we didn't have anybody to come help us. So uh, the president, I talked with President Ballard, and he gave me the okay to take a couple weeks off to be able to do that. And then also at that time, though, I still had missions teams coming in. So we still had to deal with taking care of the missions teams and keeping their work going while we were working in Hoosick Falls. Um, so sometimes we don't get to have the long prayer like Nehemiah did, but then other times we have that short prayer, which will help us to uh, muddle through uh, the waters as we deal with them. Um, <clears throat> one thing we deal with in prayer and disaster relief is uh, when we first get to the home, we meet the homeowner, introduce ourselves, we tell them what we're doing, and then we ask them if they have anything that we can pray for. And then we ask them to come outside with us and we get in the circle, and with the homeowner right there, we pray for the homeowner for the job and for everything that's going on. And it's always, a, it's always a moving time for the homeowner to have that happen for them. And uh, they always comment to us about how they're moved because we actually pray for them and we ask them what their needs are other than just assuming that obviously it's just to fix their house. So they're always, uh, they're always moved by that. So with Nehemiah, we see prayer is at his forefront of uh, anything that he tackled in this project. And then, uh, then he gets to go see the project that he just about 
is ready to tackle. And for most of us, it would be a daunting task. Uh, we, uh, we look at building construction today on our terms. Well, building construction back in the day in Jerusalem was a little different than what we deal with. Uh, so flexibility is our second point. And here's where uh, we see that Nehemiah had to use flexibility to uh, take on the task that the Lord had put in front of him. He shows up to Jerusalem, and everybody there is like, hey, what's he doing? Because obviously, you know, if you're bringing enough wood to build the gates and materials to rebuild walls, you've probably got a few wagons and camels behind you. So uh, they were wondering what he was doing, and he had to go through the enemy's territories to get there. So they were also uh, wondering what Nehemiah was doing at that time. And uh, so when he gets there, he doesn't really respond to the people. He doesn't... Uh, tell them why he's there, he just assesses the situation. So for three days, he just rides around and checks out what work he's gonna need to do there. Um, so we, so in, chapter, <clears throat> in chapter two, verse 11, you see when he gets there, he, say, he says, so I went to Jerusalem and it was three days. Then I rose at night and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and through the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. So he was doing it in secret because he still didn't want anybody to know um, why he was there. Then you get down to verse 20, and he uh, states that, then I, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will rise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So he was presenting to the people of Jerusalem why he was there, and he was also letting the people of his adversaries also know why he was there, that he was going to rebuild Jerusalem and that they had no portion in it. Um, so as we talk about the task, for us, building construction is just a simple two-by-fours, put them together, a little drywall, maybe a metal door. Uh, for Nehemiah, this was uh, a little different. Uh, if, you, if you'd skip to chapter 12, you could read down through that, and it could give you some type of understanding of how big of a job that he was about to tackle, because it tells you about when they praise the Lord of how many people they're going to take up on the wall. They have a choir that they split up. Part of it goes north. Part of it goes south. It's, uh, that tells you how big uh, the group is. But to give you the picture and save us the time from reading it, uh, there were eight gates that needed to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were 2.5 miles long. The height of those walls were 39 feet, the average height, and the width was eight feet. So 
for me in construction, that I would probably tell President Ballard, oh, give us a couple years. Uh, there's a lot of work there. But uh, for Nehemiah, he just rose up. He uh, approached the people, asked them to help build it, and they responded. But in the process, he had his enemies there who they also responded to, and they didn't like what they were seeing because now they wouldn't be able to uh, have access to the Israelites so easily. So uh, the flexibility that he had to show here was he had to tackle a construction project, and then he also had to tackle the safety of the people that he was going to have working for him. So kind of runs with the project manager type thing where you always got to worry about all your college students who uh, you think after three, four years are getting smarter <laughs> until you see them with a tool and you ask them, what are you doing? So Ben knows what I'm talking about. We have a few of them that uh, I'm, uh, hopefully Chris will be watching later on. But uh, Mr. Shatney and Mr. Spiller were always two of the ones who uh, always gave me a challenge to see what they could come up with next. Uh, so for the president here at the college, he probably has to deal with that a lot of times also. Uh, he has to remain flexible because he has all of us students to deal with, faculty, staff, uh, anything that the outside world throws at him. Uh, he has shown us through personal hardship, uh, attacks from others, financial hardships personally and through the college. And he has reminded us time and time again to take it to the Lord in prayer and he will provide and show us the way. Um, like we said back in the day, we would have our meetings uh, and it would be Beth, Sharon, and himself. And we'd sit down and he'd be like, okay, what do we got going on? And Sharon would be like, because she was in charge of the missions team, she's like, oh, we got a team of 70 coming. Be like, okay. He's like, well, what work do we have for them? And I would tell him and then I'd give him a cost for the project. And he'd be like, okay, well, we don't have that money, but... Still plan on doing it because the Lord's sending the missions team, so he'll be sending the money. So we'd be like, okay. So come Monday, I'd come in and be like, okay, Monday, do I get to order the material? Well, you can order the material, but we still don't have the money yet. And then it'd go to Tuesday, he'd be like, how about now? And he'd be like, well, it, it'll be coming. And then usually by Wednesday, we'd be able to pay for the material. And, you know, keep the mission seem happy and keep them working throughout that time. But he was always, uh, it was always a difficult time to try to schedule. And when you get 70 people asking you, hey, what am I going to do tomorrow? Or, and I'd always be like, well, you know, if we, we'll be doing this and that. And so I could see what Nehemiah would have to deal with through this time of having to build 2.5 miles of walls that in chapter 3, we could read it, but I know Dr. McDill would probably uh, yell at me if I spent all that time trying to read those names of all the families that uh, helped out through that time. So in your off time, if you want to read Chapter 3, you can appreciate how many people actually uh, helped out doing that work. 
uh, and so when it comes to the flexibility part for disaster relief, you all know what we dealt with here in the last year with COVID. Uh, last January, I went to Kentucky to uh, the round table and Tim Brown, the white hat says to me, so why are you taking the surf safe feeding training? You don't do feeding. I was like, don't know. I was like, Lord laid it upon my heart to take the feeding training. Why? I don't know. But So I take the class and passed and was certified. And we come back and uh, two months later, COVID hits. Um, for us, usually, we're not called out till the disaster already happens. And so we always have time to prepare. Well, this was a quick, hey, the CDC is calling out disaster relief to help the local churches, what can you do for us? And again, like I said before, we usually get help from other states, but as we know, all the states were shut down, so we pretty much were on our own. So uh, I talked with President Ballard and Mr. King to see uh, what I'd be able to do and if we could set up and tackle the project, and so they graciously allowed us to set up at the library. And um, my right-hand man, Ben, you know, he decided twice during this time that he would have to go home and quarantine because one of his brothers or somebody came into contact with somebody that had COVID possibly. So, so uh, it, that whole thing of flexibility throughout this pandemic, the Lord really uh, taxed that uh, aspect, but using, uh, the leadership that we've seen from President Ballard and from uh, Mr. Brown, Mr. Buner, Mr. James in disaster relief, he really uh, helped me apply that leadership throughout that time. Uh, now, the local pastors, it was a little different for them because you know, they deal with distress every day. My hat's off to all of you pastors because you know I just deal with the bigger things that come in, but you guys every day have to deal with your whole congregation. And if you look at the word distress and what you have to deal with, you have to deal with a lot of situations, a lot of different ways, and have a lot of flexibility to be able to uh, help your congregation. And so my hat's off to all of you. Um, throughout this time, Pastor Phil was uh, very encouraging, very supportive. Uh, but the one thing that we wanted to make sure when we did the feeding was that we presented the gospel throughout the whole thing. And a lot of times in disaster relief, we're not allowed to do that. If we go to the Red Cross, sometimes they'll be like, yeah, you can. If somebody asks you, then you can respond back to them. But sometimes we're not allowed to just share the gospel uh, when we're in their feeding trailers and stuff like that. So we uh, put our heads together and came up with some different ways that uh, we could reach out to those in need and to uh, share the gospel. So our little project started with it was only going to be a small number. We had the Homeless Coalition. We had like 16 people in their buildings. And Pastor Phil had some local people in North Pennington that we were going to feed. So we were looking at like 40 people. It was like, ah, that's not bad. We can handle that. So uh, the first week goes in, we have volunteers sign up. 
We needed four for lunch, six for supper. So we're looking at 10 people a day, four delivery drivers to get the meals out to them while they're hot. So 14 people tops. But after the first week, things were going smooth at Capstone. Then the state gets involved. And they're like, hey, we hear you're doing feeding. We're like, yep. Yeah. They're like, can you take on some more? It's like, well, yeah, we could probably take on some more. What are we talking? And they're like, oh, about 500 meals a day. And it was like, okay, I don't have that kind of help. So I call all the pastors together, and we put the word out to people. And um, the Lord just is amazing what he put in front of us. We had the Mennonite community come in and help. We had volunteers from Bennington, local churches. It, it was just, it was an amazing time to watch the Lord work. And it was all just through prayer. We'd get together, pray, and he would provide whatever we needed there. So uh, the flexibility part was, it's always something that the pastors have to uh, deal with, and they do it well sometimes. President Ballard, thank you for always showing us how to uh, prepare and be flexible. I wanted to use your saying all the time. Every time I go through this, it's like, okay, how can I get... I don't want to use the college, you know, persevere, part of the shepherd. But it's like, nah, I want to try to stay away from that so it's not redundant. But it always seems to come back into uh, what we do. So Nehemiah takes on this task of rebuilding the walls. Now, like I said, I told President Ballard I would probably give him like a two-year time frame. Nehemiah does it in 52 days. It's just... To think of the height of the walls, the width, and what they had to rebuild, to do it in 52 days is just amazing. And uh, I just don't know how. Don't know how he got it done without the Lord's help, because it's just a spectacular thing that people don't talk enough about of what they accomplished there. So that's the third trait is uh, Nehemiah shows us is how to finish well. So Nehemiah finishes the building of the walls, and he could have stopped there, but he didn't. Uh, in that process of building the walls, they had some famine in the land, and he took care of all the people that were there working. He passed on the meals. He could have been greedy like some of the politicians that he called up in front of and said, hey, why are you taxing these people, and why aren't you uh, helping them instead of uh, taking from them? Because for the whole 12, 13 years that he was there, he never asked for any meals from the people that he was granted being from the king's court. So uh, Nehemiah always looked out for the people that uh, served under him. And that's one of the traits we see from President Ballard is that he always, always asking us if we need anything. And he's like my mother. If, if I said, hey, I needed a shirt, he would take a shirt off and give it to me because that's just the type of person he is. And that's... That's what we see with Nehemiah here uh, in the Bible, that he also would take care of others and that uh, he, al he always gave them examples of how to finish well uh, throughout his time as the governor there. Um, one of the toughest parts that I deal with in disaster relief is how we finish because we deal with... Uh, FEMA, NAM, BOAD, 
local municipalities. So time frames, funding, um, political wranglings all come into context and sometimes it's very hard to talk with a homeowner and be positive and tell the homeowner that, oh yeah, we'll be able to take care of your project. When in the back of your mind, sometimes you know that it's just something we don't control that, no, the government at some point is going to pull the plug and we'll have to leave. So that's one of the tough things for us at Disaster Relief is we go do flood recovery. We don't get to see the end project because a lot of times we're not going back to do the rebuild like the missions teams do. So um, that ties in with the feeding was one of my more enjoyable finishes at Disaster Relief because we got to finish well. Um, throughout that time, once the state asked us to re-up and uh, keep feeding, we had to upgrade everybody. We had to come up with more volunteers to cook. So that entailed four people for breakfast, six people for lunch, six people for dinner, somebody to clean, and then we had to get four delivery drivers. So you're talking 24 people every day, seven days a week. And so it was, Pastor Phil was like, so how are we going to do this? Don't know, but you know, the Lord's in control. He'll provide. Well, throughout that time, we also had to be able to supply the food for 500 meals because we know the state isn't always on top of uh, reimbursing us. So it's, uh, you don't get that food for free. So we had to, uh, had to deal with that issue also. And it's amazing how the local community, Pastor Phil would put things out on Facebook to raise money. Uh, we had some churches, not just local, but across the country, send money in to help the feeding. And uh, we prayed about the volunteers. The Lord, throughout that whole time, gave us 124 volunteers to come and help uh, with the feeding. And we fed over 41,000 meals. We put out 41,000 meals through that time. And uh, if you'd have told me back in February that we would get to do that, I'd be like, yeah, right. Now, the funny part is when you go to disaster relief and you talk to the feeding teams who feed me, they don't, 41,000, that's like a drop in the bucket to them. They do that in a day. If it's in a big uh, hurricane or something, they set up three trailers and they pump out hundreds. I know New York was, at one point, was doing over 100,000 a day. So it was like, yeah, I know how crazy the 41,000 meals were. So it's... Uh, it was very rewarding to be able to do this, but I think our, the thing we look at the most out of that whole thing was how the Lord led us to share the gospel, to stay flexible, and to finish well, because we got to pass out Bibles, we got to uh, pass out tracts, we got all the churches to pick out a tract that we could put in with the lunches, the meals, so every day, either lunch, breakfast, or supper, the word went out to the people, and then... Uh, Ken Bonesteel came up with the idea of, hey, let's put scripture verses on the lunch bags. So he would take and print up scripture verses, put them on the lunch bags, and so every day at lunch, they got a scripture verse with their lunch. The tough part with that is everything's still in lockdown after it was done, so 
we couldn't really reach out and see what effect it had, so we really don't know, but we never had one complaint from any of the hotel owners or any of the state people that we were sharing the gospel. We later found out that uh, up in Barrie, they were trying to share the gospel and they were shut down because uh, they were told, no, you can't share the gospel. And so that gentleman was like, well, that's my job is to share the gospel and if I can't share the gospel, then we're not gonna be able to help. So to see everything after it happened that the Lord allowed for doors to open was an amazing thing. And uh, here at the college, we're getting ready to tackle this upcoming uh, prayer and how do, how do we see it finishing? We don't know. The jury is still out on that. But knowing President Ballard and the type of man that he is, um, I feel the Lord has placed um, a man of Nehemiah's caliber in our presence to uh, be able to get us through these times that, uh, of crisis that we will be facing with Dr. Ingalls and I talked today about it, of our country and the racial unrest and you see the vaccines and everything going on in all the lives of uh, people around us. So it, it'll be refreshing to see uh, what we take out of this uh, prayer time that will be coming up over the next few months and uh, it'll be interesting. And so I just wanted to thank President Ballard that through all this uh, time here at the college that his uh, leadership through times of crisis have always been uh, something that has been able to keep us going and has grounded us biblically and gave us a very good example to follow. So let us close. Heavenly Fathers, we prepare to uh, leave today, Lord, that you would just take the signs of leadership that you presented to Nehemiah and that you would just let us be able to dwell on them and that we will be able to just apply them in our lives throughout the week, Lord, and throughout the month ahead and just be with President Ballard as he prepares to uh, lead us in this time of prayer and fasting over the next couple months, Lord, that you would just give him the strength and the guidance and the wisdom of how to lead us into the future in these times of crisis, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.